Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When I have the opportunity to speak with another pastor concerning his congregation or the people who he is discipling, one of the most common questions that I ask is, when we have a new Christian or a new believer, how should we consider discipling them? What are the kinds of subjects that we should talk with them about? How should we relate to them in order to direct them and in order to encourage them to grow and mature in their faith? What would that really look like? What should our philosophy be in terms of how we go about discipling a new believer? What are the kinds of things that we should talk about? And in general, the response that I get to that kind of a question, the answers that I get, have to do with we need to teach this person how to be holy. In other words, we need to get this person to stop sinning, that we need to teach this person that there are things that they should be doing, there are things that they should not be doing, and we need to get their behavior under control. That that tends to be the philosophy or the premise that most pastors who I have been able to speak with are operating under, that in most cases ministers or priests, pastors, they believe that their role in a new believer's life or in a Christian's life period, that their role is to try to find a way to encourage this person to stop sinning so that they can be recognized as being holy, and in that way they can be mature. And in Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 6, there is a subtle description in this letter that would lead a person to believe that. For example, in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And people will often refer to these verses in order to emphasize the notion that if a person is going to mature in their faith, if they are going to mature and grow, then we need to direct them, we need to teach them and guide them and disciple them in the knowledge of good and evil so that they can become accustomed to good and evil. In other words, they can have their senses trained, as it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. They need to have their senses trained to be able to discern and distinguish between what is good and evil. And if they do that, then they will be able to repent from their dead works, and it is assumed that those dead works are the evil works, and instead have faith towards God, which generally means that a person will begin to do good works. This is the premise that most people operate under. They operate under the premise that if a person is going to mature in their faith, 
then they have to distinguish between what is good and evil, do not do that which is evil, and instead do that which is good, and then they will begin to mature as a Christian. So the life of a Christian, the life of a Christian in the sense of maturing in their faith, will then have to do with their ability to distinguish between what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, do that which is right, do that which is good, and do not do that which is wrong, that which is evil. That is the life of a Christian, or at least that is the life for most Christians that I have exposure to. I certainly do not believe this. I do not believe this at all. I believe that our life in Christ and our maturity in Christ has to do with our trusting and relying on what he has already done and living our life under the basis of what we have already received. That's how I believe a person grows and matures in their faith. Now, I, of course, have done a series of programs where I've talked about this. The programs on the will of God that I did do talk about this subject. But for now, I would just like to focus on this notion of good and evil. Because if this is what people are believing, then why is it that they are not really maturing? That's what I want to point out, is that if this is true, then why is it that it's not working? Why is it not working out? I mean, I know a lot of people who would suggest that it is working out because they are apparently becoming more obedient in their Christian life. They are not sinning as much as they used to, perhaps. They may not know their God, really, or be closer to him any more than when they first got saved, but they may be able to get their flesh under control. That's what people are thinking. And I personally do not believe that a mature believer can be identified or measured in the context of whether or not they're able to get their flesh under control. I think that this has to do with a personal interactive relationship with the living God, not a personal interactive relationship with your flesh so that you can get your flesh under control. I don't think that that's the Christian life, of course. So where does this actually come from? I mean, if I don't believe this, and I personally believe that the New Testament is true, I do believe that the writer who wrote the letter to the Hebrews is telling the truth. If that's the case, then what am I saying that I don't agree with, or what am I saying that I do agree with that contradicts what people are believing? Well, it has to do with your assumptions. That's the issue, is that in most cases, people are making assumptions. To say that a life of distinguishing between what is good and evil is what the writer was saying is an assumption. A life of good and evil in the sense of what is good and what is evil in terms of how we define sin, what you should be doing or what you shouldn't be doing. I personally look at this very differently. I personally look at this in the sense that what is good and evil has to do with the differences between living a life under the old covenant versus living a life under the new covenant. That the evil is actually trying to live a life under the law, whereas the good has to do with living a life under the new covenant. Now this, of course, is going to sound unusual to most of you, and so I'm going to talk about this with a little bit more detail. For further study on this, of course, I want to encourage you to listen to the programs that I did on spiritual warfare. Right now, I'm just going to summarize it enough just to deal with this one point. When it comes to the subject of good and evil, you always have to start with who started this subject. Who was the one who actually initiated this issue to begin with? Well, certainly God initiated it when he said, don't eat from the wrong tree. I certainly won't debate that. However, what I'm thinking of and what I'm wanting to refer to is in Genesis chapter 3 when the devil told Eve 
that if she only knew what was good and evil, then she could be like God. That was the first sermon of the devil, and that was what caused the fall of humanity. He said that if you only know what is good and evil, or we could say it differently, if you can only discern the differences between good and evil, then you can be like God. That's what he said, and that is what caused the fall of humanity. And that's exactly what people are saying today with reference to these verses that I just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6. That's exactly how people are interpreting it. They are interpreting it from the perspective of the devil by saying that if you can only discern between what is good and evil, then you can be a mature Christian. You can be a good Christian. Which is what? Well, it means that you are sinless, or you have your flesh under control, or you can get your flesh under control. You can be like Jesus, and Jesus was God, manifested in the flesh. And so it's another way of saying that if you can discern between what is good and evil, then you can be like God. What he was referring to, of course, is certainly the definition of good and evil in the context of sin, in the context of this is what you do with your flesh, this is what you do not do with your flesh, this is what you're supposed to eat, this is what you don't eat, this is how you relate to others, this is how you don't relate to others. In that context, certainly, that can be defined as good and evil. But again, I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews was intending to say. But if people assume that that's what he was intending to say, then when they get to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, they are going to have to conclude that repentance from dead works refers to those works that are sin. That's what a person has to conclude. I personally don't believe that that's what he's talking about. I personally believe that he's talking about the dead works as in the works of righteousness that people try to perform in order to obtain or sustain their right standing with their God. It's those things that are good that are dead works. Let me describe this a little bit differently. When you look at the law, when you look at the law of Moses, or if you were to look at any law for that matter, any law that anybody comes up with, you have a clear definition of what is good and evil from a fleshly point of view in terms of how we should be managing our flesh. And our God can judge us on the basis of our works. He can judge us on the basis of our good works and of our evil works. But the reality is is that nobody does good works. Nobody does any good works. Not really. All of the works that we do are like filthy rags, as it is written. All of our works are as filthy rags, that in comparison with what our God can do within and through us, and what he does do within and through his believers, that our works are totally worthless. It is as if they are dead works. And so when you look at these verses in context of good and evil, you have to consider your assumptions. You have to really consider your assumptions, otherwise it can lead to a great deal of confusion. I am taking the position that when it comes to good and evil, that there are two ways to look at it. The first way is certainly to look at it from the perspective of how well you are able to get your flesh under control. 
But there is another way to look at it that we know is true according to what the Lord Jesus has revealed. And that is that if anyone tries to present themselves to the living God on the basis of what they have done, on the basis of all the good things they have done, on the basis of all the evil things they have not done, if a person wants to assert their position before their God on the basis of their obedience or their repentance or on the basis of their ability to avoid sin, then we know full well that that will mean absolutely nothing to God. Absolutely nothing that to Him it is all evil. All of it is evil. For you to go before your God and say, look how impressive I am because I did not sin like other people did. Or look how impressive I am because I was more obedient to your commandments than other people were. That to God, that is nothing but evil. That is evil. That is pride. That's all that that is. That is the form of evil that the Lord is more interested in. He's more interested in the condition of your heart not the behavior of your flesh, but instead the condition of your heart. For the writer of Hebrews to be writing to the Hebrews, this certainly would be a very, very important subject, especially because the Hebrews, who were religious in that sense, were totally devoted to a life of obedience, were devoted to a life of distinguishing, discerning between what is good and evil, and through discerning, what is good and evil, they would then be able to avoid what is evil and do that which is good. The Pharisees were all about that. The Pharisees were totally devoted to trying to live a life of repentance and obedience, to only do that which is good and never do that which is evil. And they certainly gave a very, very sincere effort in this regard. But even in the midst of their effort, it still did nothing to change their heart. And that's why the Lord Jesus was so strong with them was because while on the outside they may give the appearance that they are holy and righteous, that they are good, on the inside they were totally evil because you cannot change the inside through outward behavior. You cannot change your heart through your obedience and repentance to commandments or to law, to that which is good. It will not happen. So again, let me say that there are two different ways of assuming what the writer is saying about good and evil. The first way is to look at it from the perspective of the flesh. And the second way is to look at it from the perspective of the spirit. To look at it from the perspective of the flesh, you just need to know all of the commandments and get your flesh under control according to the commandments. To look at it from the spirit, you need to recognize your total depravity so that you can receive his grace and mercy. That those are two completely different things. Two completely different perspectives or definitions of good and evil and being able to discern between what is good and what is evil. If you take the fleshly approach of trying to get your flesh under control and you make that assumption when reading at the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, then you're going to assume that until you are properly informed of the law of God, you will not be ready for the solid food of the scriptures. However, from the other perspective of the spirit, if you do not understand the differences between law and grace, if you do not distinguish, if you do not discern between the evil of religious pride from your obedience and repentance 
versus the rest and peace and the goodness of trusting and depending on what Christ Jesus has already done for you, then you will not be ready for the solid food of the scriptures. Again, my assumption is, is that the good and evil that you need to discern is you need to discern that the evil has to do with living a life of repentance and obedience, and the good has to do with living a life of trust and faith and dependency, that that is what a person needs to discern. You know, all of the works that a person does out of their pursuit of repentance and obedience has no life in it at all. None of that has any life in it. All of those works, they're dead works, they do nothing but stir up some religious pride. And you know, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to be saved to try to live a life of repentance and obedience. I know a lot of lost people who, if you were to examine their flesh, they certainly don't sin as much as other Christians do if you were to examine their flesh. You don't have to be a believer in Christ Jesus to know, to be able to distinguish between what is good and evil and do that which is good and not do that which is evil. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be born again by the Spirit. You can be a dead, lost person, and I mean spiritually dead. You can be spiritually dead and still live a life of goodness through discerning what is good and evil just by trying really hard to do that which is good and not do that which is evil. A person can do that. I know lots of people who do that. But those are the works that are dead works. Dead works are performed by dead people who have not been resurrected, who have not been made spiritually alive through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And those works that people do in order to obtain or sustain their right standing before God, those are all dead works. You need to repent from those works. You need to repent... You need to turn away from, completely turn away, and never turn back to living a life of repentance and obedience. That's what you have to repent of. You have to repent from a life of repentance. You have to repent from a life of obedience. Because you will never repent enough. You will never obey enough. You must turn away from that entirely. When you do, when you turn away from that, and you then turn to the living God, not turn to sin, when you then turn to the living God and receive out of the abundance of what he has for you, then he will be able to begin to fulfill the deepest needs in your heart, and through that, he will transform you and change you through fulfilling the needs that you have in the very core of your being, in your heart. It is then that you will begin to have an opportunity to mature and not before. When you are able to distinguish, when you are able to discern the evil of all the good and evil versus the good of the goodness of our God, when you are able to discern between those two things, then you are finally ready to turn away from or go beyond the milk of the scriptures and be able to get into the solid food or the meat of the scriptures. It is then when you will be able to experience a personal interactive relationship with your God. Because, of course, before that, you're so preoccupied with yourself trying to get your flesh under control that you have no opportunity to be loved by your God. You have no opportunity to be accepted by your God. 
You have no opportunity to have a relationship with him because you have to wait until you become perfect so that you can start to have a relationship with him. And that is never going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. You must repent from your works. You must repent from your works of righteousness, from your obedience, from your repentance, from sin. You must repent and turn away from all of that and turn to him and receive his forgiveness, receive his mercy, receive his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, enjoy his self-control, receive the love that he has for you, rest in the fact that he does not hold your sins against you, enjoy the acceptance that he has for you. When you do this, when this happens, then you will begin to mature as a believer, and not before. You cannot mature outside of his love for you. And if you cannot receive his love, you cannot mature. And if you're preoccupied with what is good and evil in the context of the flesh, you will never, ever be loved by your God. Because he will always have some sin that he can hold against you. There's just no way around it. And so I believe that the writer is intending to say that the evil that a person has to discern is the evilness of trying to live in accordance with what is good and evil. And that the good that a person must discern so that they can press on to maturity is the goodness of God, not the goodness of their behavior, but the goodness of their God. Receive that and enjoy that. Rest in that and walk in your daily life in accordance with what he has given you. Walk in your daily life in accordance with the truth that he has revealed. In other words, respond to the truth that he has revealed, and you will be exercising your faith towards God. Only then will you fulfill Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, where he said, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. What is that foundation? The foundation is to repent from all of your works of righteousness, and instead respond to the truth that your God has revealed to you concerning what he has already done on your behalf. Let us press on beyond that. But who do you know who has even made it that far? You know full well that it is very unusual to find anyone who has made it that far, let alone then being able to press on to maturity beyond that. Hardly anyone has even remotely been able to manage getting up to this point, let alone moving beyond it. I have many friends, I know many people who are still stuck trying to live a life of getting their flesh under control, trying to live a life of repenting from their sins, not realizing that it's over. It was over 2,000 years ago. It was over a long time ago. They just don't really believe in what Jesus has done for them. They don't believe it. And so they're still, you know, every time I see them, they're still stuck in this notion of, you know, brother, I'm just trying to repent from my sins and get more sins out of my life. And I'm just trying to do better works. I'm trying to do good works. You know, I'm trying to do those things that I should be doing, trying to help people who are in need and and perform services for those who have need. Look, I don't have a problem with that. I think those are wonderful things. 
But the problem is that people are believing that once they get those things down pat, that they will be able to move on to maturity. And I'm saying they won't even be able to get started moving on into maturity because they have to recognize that their God does not relate to them on the basis of what they of what they're doing on the basis of their sin or on the basis of their good works. That is not about them. It's about their God. It's not about what they do. It's about what their God has already done for them. That is the issue that needs to be considered. This is the issue that is keeping people from maturing in their relationship with Christ Jesus. Now again, certainly, I do believe that if a Christian is alive, if they have been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that they will be performing good works. I've got no problem with that at all. In fact, I did a very good series on the subject of Faith in works or faith only. I did a very important series of programs on that. I'd like to encourage you to listen to those when it comes to this subject. But what I'm saying right here in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 is that to be able to discern or distinguish between good and evil, you need to look at it not from the point of view of evil as sin in the flesh and good as the good works we do in our flesh, but instead the evil is truly what people do religiously And the good is that which God has already done. And so if you would like to experience a training of your senses, if you would like to be able to discern, then what you need to continually understand or what you need to continually pursue a knowledge of, what you need to grow in, what you need to mature in, is to recognize how evil people's works truly are when they believe that their works are works of righteousness, when in reality their works are nothing. Our works are nothing. Whether we sin or don't sin is nothing. Whether we do something good or we don't do something good is nothing. Whether we do evil or not do evil is nothing. Those things are nothing. Because in the end, you're nothing. You're nothing. You're the one who needs to be saved. You're the one who needs the mercy of God. You're the one who needs the love of God. The issue is not how to get you to be more loving. The issue is how to get you to be loved by your God. That's the issue. That's the real issue. Through that, he will mature you and transform you as he sees fit, and he certainly will do many wonderful good works within and through you. But that is not the same as you doing works of righteousness, and through maturity, you will be able to distinguish between these two things. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you